great to see all of you. Uh, flannel was a poor decision, but I'm still thankful that all of you showed up. Um, and, and it's always great. Uh, just the opportunity I have uh, been blessed with just to, to be called to pastor a group of people that I dearly love and that I know their hearts. Um, so we have some work to do this week. Uh, this, this, this passage we're going to dive in, we're going to be in Hebrews 5. We're going to move from Hebrews 5 into chapter uh, 6. And this is one of the passages that, like, when we were as a, as, a, as a leadership team and as a pastoral staff said, hey, we should go through Hebrews um, selfishly, uh, I immediately went to this week, and I had to make a decision, is, is, am I willing to teach this week? Because the rest of Hebrews is beautiful, all of Hebrews is beautiful, but this is the, the pivotal moment when you decide if you want to teach Hebrews, is are you willing to stand in front of the congregation you love and hit them with just brutal, brutal honesty, and, and Honestly, it was an easy decision. If, if all, all Scripture is profitable for reproof, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Uh, but I say that with the humanity of just being your pastor and, and being just a, a broken uh, member of God's church, just like everyone in this room, there was some trepidation. Um, I, have, I have meditated over this sermon and, and prayed over this sermon and this passage uh, more um, than I probably have as a collective uh, of my 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 professional um, experience as a pastor. And a lot of it is because it, it hits you where you live. So I pray that we open up our ears, we open up our minds, and we humbly come to the throne today just with honesty. Um, I'm going to ask you at the end of today if you would just do a kind of introspect, and, and, and just look into yourself and see where you're at. No one knows where you're at um, except for you and God. And I pray you're honest with yourself. And then when you take stock and when you take... Uh, account of where you are, that you would let the Spirit move accordingly, you let the Spirit guide you. Um, last week, uh, we finished up really some of the imagery we're going to do for a while as Christ is the Holy High Priest and how, how much faith uh, and beautiful um, peace comes in when you realize that we have the Holy High Priest, we have the Great High Priest, and we talk about how long will we put our faith into something that wasn't meant to last like earthly things and how we will transition our faith to eternal things in Christ. And we have to continue to view it that way. Um, the, the main point of, of Hebrews is still the supremacy of Christ, and we're still going to dive into what it means to call Christ king on a day in, day out. And this passage is, today is no different other than it's going to hit you where you live and say, hey, there's a certain aspects of, of being a true believer, and if you don't fall within the aspects of being a true believer, then you're not. What I love about our faith is there's no room for moderation, and there is no half in, half out. You either are or you are not, and we're going to make that clear today. Um, I try to use real-world analogies a lot with you, and I'll be honest with you, I shy away from using uh, real-world uh, analogies with y'all as far as my my other uh, uh, vocation, which is being a, a, a police officer in the state of Texas, and it's not because I don't think they're valid, it's because I'm scared they're going to polarize you. Because there's not a lot of people that just kind of like the police. You either, you either love us, or you do not love us. Um, and I don't ever want to bring the baggage, or the weight, or the, the, the politics, or the heaviness of, of my profession into this room. But today there's a lot of aptness. Because what this scripture is going to do today, I pray, is produce good fear. There is, there is scriptures all throughout the Bible that are scary, but it's good fear. It's healthy fear. And we're going to dive into what it is to be healthily afraid of certain outcomes in your life. How we have reverence and fear of God. And how that fear is good and can captivate you and can move you and propel you into safe things. And I see that a lot in my career. So I started uh, in my, my career in law enforcement about 11 years ago. 
Um, and I've had a lot of opportunities just through the blessing of God to find myself in different situations with different hats. And one of the ones that was probably the hardest for me was I was a training officer for six years. So what that meant is you got a, a new officer uh, assigned to you, and, and depending on their variations of their time in their, um, their, their field training, um, you could have get them day one. You could get them literally like this is the first time they've carried a badge and gun, or you could get them more developed and, and, and more squared away, more ready to kind of be on their own. Um, but I, I specialized in what they called remedial training. So I didn't get people um, that were kind of just progressing well. If you came to me, a lot of times it was the last stop. Like you, you got your stuff together. I was what we called a loop trainer. So you had already been looped. You'd already shown an issue. Um, and, and different loop trainers specialize in different things. There are guys that specialize in like you're not being able to uh, – articulate elements enough or write narratives well enough or you're not able to captivate the law well enough. Obviously, you know who I am. That's not where I specialize. Um, the specialization that I had for people who were struggling um, were officer safety and command presence. Um, could you command the respect you needed and, and did you have the safety you needed to go home? And so much of what I did and so much of the issues that I saw were all encompassed about fear. You had good fear and you had bad fear, and, and the bad fear was going to make sure you didn't get home, and the good fear was going to put you in the best situation you could to go see your loved ones at home. And one of the, the ways I saw it as a training officer is there are people that just are gripped with fear, like you watched a lot of TV and you thought this was the profession for you and you really feel called to do this, but the rubber meets the road and it's 3 in the morning and you're supposed to go down this dark alley, but you can't get out of the car. Yeah, everything in you says, I know I should be getting out of the car, I should be doing my job, I should be protecting someone, I should be keeping someone safe. There is something extremely bad that goes bump in the night, and I've been called to try to mitigate that and keep people safe, and I want to do that, but there's something inside of me that's just locking me up, and it's, it's not allowing me to move, and that's bad fear. Bad fear freezes you where you are and doesn't allow you to do what you're supposed to do. Because the caveat of that is the most dangerous place for a police officer is in the car. You teach this, and Joe makes fun of me, that if the car stops before the, the car is actually in park, I'm out of the car. Because it's muscle memory. You get out of the car. Get out of the car. Get out of the car. I can't tell you how many times I've yelled to the top of my lungs, get out of the car, get out of the car, get out of the car, because you're a sitting duck. It's the most unsafe position you have as a law enforcement officer because you're in this huge car that is designed to draw attention. You have lights. You have sirens. Everyone sees the white car. They see the Challenger or the Crown Vic or the Tahoe. They all make me think, cop. And they know where cops are because there's only one place to drive in America. They know exactly where you're sitting. So how many, we preach all the time, get out of the car, get out of the car. This is the most dangerous place for you to be. But fear freezes you and it keeps you in the most dangerous spot. And the reality is the best thing for you is to get out of the car. And you're thinking, no, the boogeyman's outside. And I can't tell how many times I've had to say, get out of the car. There's something outside. Yeah, you're, we're going to bounce back. It pushes, we push back, we get out there, we get in the dark alley. And it's this, this all-encompassing fear. And if you can't figure out what kind of fear is bad and what kind of fear is good and you can't apply it appropriately, this ain't for you. And there's been a lot of people that have come through my car and my training that they've been propelled on to be amazing officers. And there's a lot of people that have come through my, my car and I've said, I love you to death. You're a good person. I don't have the heart to put you on to the next phase. This is it. Because I'm not going to go tell your wife or your mom that I thought you were a decent enough guy. You either can operate under the fear that's been given to you or you can't. And my, pray, and my, my prayer and my desire and my yearning for this room is that the scripture we cover today produces good, healthy fear. That, that it, 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 it propels you to move, but you move with reverence and calling. This scripture today will, will produce healthy, um, biblical fear.
We're going to do it a little different today. I'm going to pray over us right now, and then we're just going to dive in. We're going to move word for word, sentence by sentence, and we're going to go as long as we can until I hear stuff just completely break down down there. I've already warned our kids that we got a big passage to handle. They've, they've instituted more than enough craft time um, that I think we need, but we're just going to dive in. Let me pray over us, and then we're going to move in. We're going to be in Hebrews. We're going to start in chapter 11, and I pray we get to Hebrews 6, 12. God, thank you for today. Thank you for just the opportunity we have in your sons and daughters to, to love you, to be called by you, to, to read your words, to have your words speak to us. God, I pray that today is all about healthy fear. I hope that nothing in these words frees us or enable us to move or have us doubt something that's secure and sanctified. God, I pray all things in your name. Amen. All right, I'm going to do a majority of our reading. It's going to be a lot of reading, so show grace. Reading is not why you hired me. Verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the words of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good or evil. So it says, about this we have much to say. He's talking about the order of Melchizedek, which is a deeper uh, uh, next level theology in a comparison to Melchizedek and, and Christ. So we're going to talk about uh, the priestly order of Melchizedek uh, mostly in chapter 7. But what he's saying is I want to move on to deeper things. I want to get into stuff. I want to get into the weeds with you. I want to wade into scripture with you. But I can't because you're dull of hearing and you that should be teachers need someone to teach you basic principles. And a lot of you are thinking Tim, I'm not a teacher. I'm not called to be a teacher of a small group, and I don't have a stage, and I'm not a pastor. And what I'm telling you is if Christ has called you to be a disciple, which he has, the Great Commission, we've covered that, that he's called you to be a teacher, you will absolutely have to teach your faith to someone. It may be a congregation, it may be a class, it may be a five-year-old asking questions that, that he deeply needs answers to, but either way, you've been called to be a teacher. And the biggest lie you can tell yourself is that it's my job, or Joe's job, or Catherine's job, or Jessica's job, to bring your child to the throne of grace. But that's not. It's the spirit that's going to move them, but you're going to guide them. You should be teachers. But you're not because you're dull of hearing, and you need basic oracles of God. You need milk when you should be eating food. Some of you, it's okay that we'll be where you are and drinking milk. You're new to faith. You're new to leadership. You're new to this much involvement in church. You've been cursiary all your life, but this is the first time you plugged in. And where you're at, milk is okay. But a lot of you should be eating steak. And it's the appropriateness of where you are. If Levi's up here and, and, and drinking a bottle, everyone's saying, that's cool. He's a baby. That's what he needs to, to grow and develop him. If I'm up here drinking a bottle, someone's calling the cops. It's getting weird because I need food. The, 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 I don't care what craze, what diet you're on. You can do a juice cleanse, but sometime or another, for you to continue your life, you need sustenance. Some of you are drinking Organic almond milk when you should be drinking a seven-finger pork chop at Perry's. Some of you need more and you refuse because you have this dull of hearing and saying, I'm comfortable where I am. Because if I take that next step, there may be a question I don't know the answer to. But what he is saying is you will never be the full picture of who God's called you to be. If you continually be okay with milk, your growth, your, your growth is stunted. You will never be able to actually lead your child to the throne of Christ with the Holy Spirit if you and him are both drinking milk. And a lot of you, that's Tim, that's really scary. Yeah, you had kids. How do you think this is going to work out? 
You're the one, you're the person, you're the Bible, you're, 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 you are the person that's going to hone in your family, your church, your community, your people to the throne of God. You are going to grow in your faith or you're going to die. That's why I love the Bible, because it's so polarizing in its, in its health and unhealthiness. You are either going to grow, and if you are not growing, you are dying, and there is no wading water. There's no treading. There's no nothing. You're growing or you're dying. Moves on to chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to the maturity of... Uh, uh, sorry. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying the foundations of repentance from dead faith, faith towards God, the instructions about washing and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, that we may do this if God permits. So what he's saying there, he's lifting out a list of spiritual things where he's saying we need to move past these elementary doctrines. He's not saying these elementary doctrines aren't important. They're vital. They're, they're foundational truths, but we have to be able to move past them. When he says uh, the repentance of dead works, that means every Sunday you come in here and promise to be a better version of yourself, but when you go home, you're the same person. You're doing nothing. It's dead promises, and they don't matter. If you're saying, I have this weight, I have this inclination, I have this desire to sin, and when I sit down here at 10 on Sunday, and I tell myself, I'm going to be a better version of myself, I'm going to stop sinning, then when you go home, you do nothing to move forward in the cause of Christ. He's saying, stop it, it's dead, you're wasting both of our times. He's saying if you, have, if you have a chemical addiction but you've done nothing to kick it, if you say, hey, I have an addiction to pornography, but when I get home I'm Googling and there's nothing that's going to change that. Or if you come in here and say, I want to be a better version, I'm, I'm going to be a better dad, I'm going to be a better mom. But every Sunday you're saying the same thing and nothing changes and what you're doing is dead works and there's no room for that in the church. Amen. He says faith towards the instructions of washing and laying on hands. So that, that's a, those are... Uh, cursory things inside the church. Those are those the equivalent of those in 2020. Church would be we're, we're arguing about carpet and worship. And I've been in church long enough that if there's something that's going to kill a church, you think it may be Satan's attack, and those are Satan's attacks. But you may think it's, a, it's an affront on our our salvation, or it's an affront on what we believe. But the reality, more churches have died because of the color of carpet and the kind of worship that's going on than you would, than you would ever think it would break your heart. He's saying, these things are preferences, and you keep arguing about them. you got dead works, you got preferences. And then you say, then he says, the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. So he's talking about the end times. And I love Matt Chandler's view on what the end times are, because a lot of people are like, I want to dive deep, I want to know more about Revelations. And a lot of people say, hey, Tim, I want you to teach Revelations. And I'll say, well, first I've got to say it well before I teach it. Um, <laughs> there are, I'm never telling you not to dive into your scripture, and, and neither is the writer of Hebrews, but he's saying, and, and, and Matt Chandler coins this best, instead of worrying about Revelation and when Christ comes back, how about you live like he is? How about today you say, I'm not 100% sure if the dragon is actually New Testament, Old Testament, World War II. I don't know what the dragon encompasses, but I know that Christ is coming back and he's making all things new. And I'm going to live accordingly every day. All right, hold on. This is where it's going to get pretty dicey. Verse 4. For it is impossible in this case of those who have been enlightened, who have, been ta who have tasted the heavenly gifts and have shared the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and then have fallen away. It's impossible for that person to restore them again to repentance as they have, are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. 
So th that, that sentence right there, those, those, things, those people who have experienced those spiritual things, the heavenly gifts, the shared, uh, the shared inside of the Holy Spirit, taste of the goodness of the Word of God, the power of the age to come. When those people fall away, it's impossible to restore them because they keep holding up and re-crucifying God in contempt. And there's complete denominations of Christendom inside our church, Big C, that have splintered off purely because of this passage. Because what this passage can be interpreted is, is these people have lost their salvation. Their salvation was once theirs, and they have fallen away. And I'm here to tell you right now, if you, if you learn anything from Trinity Church, Timothy Roundtree, February 16, 2020, is you cannot lose your salvation. Once you are saved, you are secure in Christ. But what this passage is saying is you can experience spiritual things and not be saved. He is saying you can feel the enlightenment. Of, well, enlightenment just means knowledge. You can know about Jesus. You can know about God and not call him king. He is saying be weary, people, because he's doing an illustration of a person who is saying this person thought they're, they're, they were secure, but they were never converted. He's not arguing the ability to fall from grace. He's saying your conversion wasn't real. It was a lie. It was a myth. It was something that you just felt. It was an emotional motion on a Thursday night at camp. It was an emotional time where you came down. There was something that you thought was a conversion that wasn't, and you've been tricked into thinking you're a child of God when you're not, and I can prove it because there's no work, there's no faith, there's no action, there's no change. He's saying, you can experience everything you think is church and it not be real unless Christ is king of your heart. I know that your salvation is true and your salvation is true because the whole of Hebrews tells you that. You see, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 14, he says, For by a single offering he, Christ, has made perfect for all time those who are being sanctified. Your sin didn't surprise God. You are being sanctified. He's made it perfect for all time, those that are being sanctified. But those who are being sanctified are the ones who said, yes, Christ is my Savior. Christ is my King. And I'm going to live accordingly. It's why the great evangelist Billy Graham, when he was asked, hey, you just had a 10,000-person revival, and like 2,000 came down and said they were saved. How many people do you think really saved? He said, let me know. I'll tell you in five years. Because the writer of Hebrews is saying, you need to be weary of a false conversion that has tricked you into thinking that you are just, you know what, hey, I just don't want to go to hell. Being saved isn't a get out of hell free card. It's the you getting to be in the presence of God. And since you're in the presence of God, then you're not in hell. But it's not just something you do because you're scared of hell. It's something you want to do because you want to be in the presence of God. And I know some of the things I'm saying are scary. Some of the things you may be complete disagreements with. And I highly encourage you to email Catherine and let her know everything you don't agree with me about. <laughs> you email me, email me. I'm just not going to email you back. It's not that I don't love you. If you work with me or around me, you realize email is just the worst way to communicate with me. Text me. You all have my number. We're a church of eight. <laughs> he goes on to say, for the land that has drunk the rain and has often fallen on it and produces a crop useful for those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing. So the, the land that has received the rain and it is right receives the blessing, receives the crop. It is cultivated. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless, it is cursed, and will be burned. Verse 9, here's another reason why I know our salvation is secure. For though we speak in this way, yet you are, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, better things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust 
so as to overlook your works and the love that you have shown for his name and the servants of the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same eagerness to have the full assurance of hope. That hope is salvation. Until the end, that you may, be, you may not be a sluggard, but an imitator of those who have faith and patience in the promise. This may be a secret to you. I don't ever use my notes, ever. You can ask my wife. These are just up here because you should bring notes up here. Um, but they're mostly just for my weekly outcome, or my weekly focus, my weekly like, hey, I need to work through this. And, and the, reason, um, the reason I've been laying awake at night this week thinking about this passage in the scripture and in, in, in you is not because I don't think this is true or it's too hard to hear. I'm, I'm terrified that you're just going to look at me and leave. Come back next Sunday and pretend this never happened. Because the, the passage starts off with, about this, we have much to say, but it's hard to explain because you've been dull of hearing. The reason that this keeps your pastor up at night is because the people that need this in this room don't realize they need this and they're going to leave. And that breaks me. Because here's the hard truth. If this scripture terrifies you, it probably should. If this scripture keeps you up at night, it probably should. And I pray that this, this scripture emboldens you to have healthy fear, and that healthy fear communes you with the Spirit, and the Spirit guides you to salvation, and through salvation you are sanctified and you are a child of God. But the last thing I want to do is to pretend you're okay. Because the person this scripture is talking about in this room, the odds are not in our favor. We have enough people now that there is someone in this room that actually thinks they're a child of God, and because this world's lied to them, because Satan's lied to them, and because they refuse to be honest with themselves, they are not where they need to be right now. And it's not because something's been taken away from them, it's because they never had it. There's a huge theological difference. Nothing, once you are genuinely saved and converted in a son and daughter of God, that cannot be taken away from you. But something cannot be taken away from you that never was. And he's saying you have to be real with yourself because the consequences are unforgiving. The consequences will, will haunt you and your family and your family's family and the generations to come if we just do this tertiary, sin-level, fake salvation, Christianity, and church. You can experience spiritual things and not be saved. So we all know Matthew 7, 21-23 where it says, You will come to me, Lord, Lord. We prophesied your name. We cast out spirits in your name. We taught in your name. And I'm going to say I never knew you. And really, all Hebrews 5 and 6 is, is theologically breaking down Matthew 7. Matthew 7 just hits you with like three verses and you're just terrified. You're like, wait, you never knew me? But what Hebrews does is, is exegetically uh, fill out theologically Matthew 7 where he's saying, yeah, I never knew you because you weren't mine. And they're saying, no, he prophesied my name. No, you can do spiritual things. You can come to church every Sunday morning and it doesn't mean you have a place in the Lamb's book of life. You can lead. You can teach. And all of that could just be spiritual mumbo-jumbo. We live in a time in a world where it's okay just to look the part. There are days I, I, I don't know if I'm a preacher or a good public speaker. And that's the kind of stuff that like, I have to churn in. I have to, I have to wait in. I have to get people to speak into me. I have to say, like, hey, this is what I, I talked to a lot of people this week. This is what I'm doing. 
I had a lot of heated debates because a lot of my good friends belong to the Church of Christ, and they say this passage means one thing, and we say this passage means another. And I love them. But they're dead wrong. And that kind of ignorance and that kind of misunderstanding can cost you dearly. Circle back to the police analogy. One of the things I didn't realize you had to do, so I came straight. I, I grew up in a place that was a little different than Oak Cliff. I didn't have near as many. I had a ton of tacos, but not as good. And then the coffee shops are pretty weak. Um, but it, it was a place that kind of taught you what it was. Like, if you want to act like a grown man, they're going to treat you like a grown man. You're going to walk down the street and kind of puff out your chest, and maybe someone to unpuff your chest. Um, and I didn't realize how much that really went on until I became a police officer. So I became a police officer uh, at 21, so I think I'm just... I'm good to go. I'm, I'm tough. They have to respect me because I have a badge. They have to do what I say because I have this badge. And one of the quickest lessons you learn on the streets is they don't care about the badge. They will do what you can make them do, and that's it. So there's a lot of times that I got uh, me or one of my friends caught, caught a fist to the face because we thought this badge was this magical blanket that, that just people are going to do. And then you, all right, game time. And there's so many of us in this day and age, that want to look the part. So, over time, you realize there's certain guys you got to worry about, and there's certain, certain guys you do. And I'm not, I'm not here to judge anyone's fitness or wellness, but I'm saying if, if, if you're a chest and curl guy, like you look good, you got them uh, mere muscles, you're just, ah, 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 chest on Monday, buys for the rest of the week, but you don't enjoy the cardio, and maybe we don't understand the importance of core, and our legs, who needs them? That guy looks amazing and will last three seconds, and life will teach him what real strength is, what real force is. And there's so many of us Christians that are on our chest and biceps, and we've never engaged our core, we've never engaged our foundation, we've never engaged our legs, and the first time you're in the street, you're strike, you're going to get destroyed. And when you get destroyed, it's too late. I've been in a lot of fights, and by the grace of God, I just had a radio, because I wasn't ready. There's nothing worse than grabbing on somebody and realize he's thicker than you. <laughs> but we don't like, I mean, there's, there's more coming. All i got to do is hold on tight and push that button. It's going to rain. But there's so many of us that look great. Man, beach fog ready, biceps are great, chest day every Monday. But we're going to get destroyed because all we do is look, look the part. And then when it comes down to actual fear, we're going to refuse to get out of the car. We're going to say, no, this is good. And there was a time uh, where I didn't know good fear or bad fear. I was just ignorant. I had a good name. I had a good reputation on the street because if you, need, uh, you want me first in the door, I'll be first in the door. I'll kick the door right now. Let's chase it. Back up. Call me scared? I don't need backup. Kicking the door going right now. Then I had Ashley Thomas Roundtree and destroyed me. Then it became from, like, I'll kick the door right now, then why do we need inside? Like, <laughs> what do we think's inside? I mean, three cars are coming, maybe five more will be better, and maybe we'll knock on the door. And if they don't come out, maybe it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> and that's where I live my life right now. I get out of the car, and I run to the back. Um... But it's so important for you to look through this scripture and, and, and let it rain over you. And if it produces unhealthy fear, 
then check yourself and be honest. Because the only person in a relationship with you and God that you lie to when you're not being true to where you're at is yourself. God knows exactly where you are. Your sin hasn't surprised God. Your position in salvation hasn't surprised God. You have to be real with yourself before you can move. And Satan is counting on this. Satan is counting on you being dull of hearing. That's one of the that's the biggest trick Satan has. It's the thing he can say, hey, you're doing just enough. And hear this. Your Christ and God is everything or nothing, and you got to pick. He can't be 80% of what you're about. That's hell. He can't be 95% of what you're about. That's hell. He is everything or he is nothing. I love you. I pray that today you walk out with a little trepidation. And I'm not saying that doubts aren't part of the human condition. Hear this, that you are secured, you will walk boldly in your faith. There's a difference between having doubts and saying, like, I'm not the person I want to be yet, but I want to yearn, I want to dive in, I want to become a better version of myself for my family, for my wife, for my kids, for my church. That, that Those doubts are normal. I'm talking about the guy right now that's praying I don't look at it. And says, oh God, if I just get out of this room, it's the Bible in one day. That person is exactly where Satan wants him. That person has a real potential of getting something a big surprise when Christ says, and God says, I never knew you, because you never knew me. Here in a second, the elders are going to come, and we're going to take communion. Um, and we're going to uh, dive in as the sons and daughters. And communion is for the sons and daughters. It's not just, hey, I came to church, and I want to be a part of this. If you're taking communion at Trinity Church, it's because you have professed faith, and he is your king. And because he is your king, you are doing something in remembrance of him. You are tasting the body of Christ. You are drinking the blood of Christ in, in, in this symbolic imagery of saying, this is what was done for me that I may have eternal life. The band's going to play one more song. We're going to take communion. And I pray that there is a reverence and a solemnness that just weighs over us and says, do I actually need to get out of my seat and eat this bread and drink this juice? Or is this something I'm accustomed to? And here's another thing. If you're not where you need to be, don't leave today. I'm the last one here every Sunday. And I'll stay as long as it takes. This is the closest thing we've ever come to an altar call. But if you are not sure where you're at, but you think you can fade one more week or one more day or one more hour, I plead you, don't leave. Sit down with me. Sit down and let's just flush this out. Let me love on you. Let me pray on you. There are people here that don't, like, if you are found determined to be dull in hearing, I want you to do it over my body. I want you to be, you have to go through me to do that. God, let me pray over you, else you're going to come up, and we're going to worship God our King. God, thank you for today. Thank you for just the truth. They call it the brutal truth because sometimes it's brutal, but it's what we need. God, I pray that we don't take this bread, we don't take this juice lightly. That's something we just do as happenstance. It's not just something we do on Sunday mornings, but it's an outward expression of an inward faith. God, I pray that Matthew chapter 7 is just a, a warning, but that when we stand before you, you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. God, I pray over everyone in this room. I pray over the kids that need teachers, that need faithful parents. I pray over Trinity Church that needs the hands and the feet of Christ to embolden themselves, live out truth, and put away the elementary doctrines secure in our heart and move on to food. 
God, I pray all things in your name. Amen.